50 Australian deaths from intentional paracetamol overdose, yeah. the biological impact of vaping. Tobacco is missing from the vape, these e-cartridges. The nicotine are the ones that are the most common. Exposure to nicotine in mice mm-hmm. affects generations yeah. of mice. The CEO who has shared the number one question to never ever ask at a job interview, wait until you're called back. This question is a lightning rod of controversy. Mm. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of our employers. These are very much our own thoughts and opinions. Today is quite cold for a Queenslander. (laughs) Yes, that's true. For people who are born in the state of Queensland or Mm -hmm. live in the state of Queensland, Mm -hmm. probably just born in the state of Queensland, every other part of Australia more south of us has this idea that we are just weaklings when it comes to the cold. We we kind of are, aren't we? I think the slightest brisk breeze. (laughs) I was walking past my office mates and I saw one of them had like a full-on puffer jacket. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot. I was catching the bus this morning to work and it's just everyone had pulled out their their winter coat. (laughs) Now, I wasn't born in Brisbane, but I came to Australia Mm. when I was eight. So there seems to be like an age cutoff for when the wimpiness uh, sets in. So at eight... people acclimatize too yeah. so I, I, they'll come I, from europe and uh, they they inherit the queensland they the weak cold gene they do i went to a conference in tasmania and the all the melburnians who went to the same conference mm-hmm. made it their mission to walk past me and say are you wearing eight layers right now are you wearing like an undershirt like a thermal vest and the two jackets and what's going on and then they go oh, do you want the secret of resisting the cold i can't tell them the secret like, don't be a wimp we will embark on episode eight Fantastic. of crossover connections mm-hmm. with jack Wayne. This is our podcast about science, technology, education, productivity, and how all of it is connected. My name is Jack Wang, and I'm a microbiologist and professor based at Australian University. My name's Amanda, and I'm currently working as a manager of clinical research. And for the context, both of us have our areas of expertise within science. We both work broadly in the molecular mm-hmm. clinical sciences, but we clearly have our blind spots and our areas where we are quite ignorant of things happening outside of our tiny little sphere. I thought our sphere of influence was much bigger than it really is. That's a very nerdy expression right there. (laughs) Again, evidence of our rather Mm -hmm. narrow tunnel vision Mm -hmm. of the world of science. The first segment of our podcast is something called The Connect, where we revisit old topics that have once graced the headlines in previous episodes of the podcast. And we will see how those issues have emerged and progressed. And the first headline of today is from the New York Post. Entitled Gen Z is the most difficult generation in the workplace. This is touching base again on the entrenched prejudice against young people. I won't even call millennials young people anymore, though that's what people kind of think about. We are millennials. We are millennials, yes. And we are not in Gen Z. So they are facing an even more harsh view towards them. This study, if you can call it a study, literally went out to interview all of these different employers Mm -hmm. to find out just how much they really hate young people. And it seems like everyone universally in the workplace does not have a good view of young people. What did this quote-unquote study find out about Gen Z in the workplace? So this study is saying that almost half or 49% of respondents declared it difficult to work with Gen Z all or most of the time, while a staggering 79% said they find them the most difficult generation to have in the workplace. Of that majority, 59% said they've had to fire a Gen Z employee and 20% even claimed to have axed one of the young workers within a week of their start date. A couple of things here. This is from the New York Post which I believe isn't seen with the same prestige as the New York Times, let's just say. 
also my understanding. Okay. The second point is that it's citing a study or a survey from Resume Builder. Again, I'm not really in this sphere, so I'm not mm -hmm. really sure how reliable Resume Builder is. But certainly 1,300 people responding to a survey mm -hmm. has some sampling validity. Mm -hmm. But also there's confirmation bias, right? So For sure. if you had no issue with Gen Z, you probably wouldn't be responding to a survey. Absolutely. About what do you think about Gen Z in a workplace? <laughs> it's like when we do teaching evaluation surveys, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of colleagues will complain that it's bimodal. You'll either really love the teacher or really hate the teacher and then mm -hmm. you respond. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're filling in 10 surveys every semester. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bother. You know, like The title of the survey is, what do you think about Gen Z? It's not going to be people who have no opinion or are perfectly fine with Gen Z who respond. It's going to be people who have an issue. You are not indifferent to Gen Z. You mm. have a take. You have a hot take about Gen Z. Exactly. <laughs> the interesting thing about this article is that they don't really try to be particularly fair and balanced. Not at all. <laughs> because there is a throwaway there is a throwaway quote at the end where they find one person willing to go on the record as being complimentary of Gen Z. I'm glad they threw that in there for good measure. Uh, what, what do they say? Oh, they're very innovative. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Like compared to other generations, I find Gen Z to be very innovative. <laughs> And adaptable. There are lone mm. voices in the wild about Gen Z. I saw a person on Twitter say, I asked one of my interns to mm -hmm. give me 50 blank pages. Mm -hmm. And when the person gave them the 50 blank pages, the paper was warm. Like, mm. Why is it warm? It's because instead of counting out 50 pages, they just went to the printer and said, print out 50 copies. And then the pages were warm. And so this is genius. This Gen Z is so adaptable. And <laughs> Pre-warmed paper. So hold on, is that costing the company anything, printing out blank pages? At least they didn't print light grey text or something and waste a bunch of toner, but, you know. Yes, and I don't know if there's any count through mm. the, the company. Even if you're printing out blank pages, it was a cost to it. One of the comments <laughs> to the tweet was, you're laughing now, but once you become accustomed to the luxury of warmed paper, you can't go back. <laughs> so it's really a setback for the company. Look, I could have done with some more Some warm paper today. Yeah. So this article is just another example of the piling on the generational prejudice against these young oh, people. Oh, people are pretty terrible to Gen Z. They're pretty terrible. And yeah. whether it's earned or not, I don't think this attitude helps. No, it doesn't. And if you go through and read the comments, which I don't mm -hmm. recommend, pretty much chiming in with their, mm -hmm. oh, this person, this young person on their phone the whole time and they were trying to serve me at this restaurant and then et cetera, et cetera. So all these negative things out there about the Gen Z. Mm -hmm. I just don't find that this is conducive to changing hearts and minds. No. Because the only no. thing more punitive than constant insults mm -hmm. and cost of the mm -hmm. run is just exceedingly low expectations. Why would they try to rise above it if you mm -hmm. don't expect much of them? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I certainly wouldn't respond to that kind of environment. No. There are other, other studies that show that Gen Z who shouldn't have been in the workplace for that long, mm -hmm. but these very recent graduates who belong to Gen Z are already feeling very disconnected yeah. and, okay. and kind of worn out. Yep. And again, people say, oh, they've only been working for a couple of years. What did they have to be burnt out about? Another example of Gen Z being kind of unmotivated. But I, I think a more positive attitude and clearly outlining expectations oh, is going to be really useful. Mm -hmm. If they don't know what's expected of them mm -hmm. and you don't make that clear, then no one actually has a chance to win. Any personal experiences you would say, generalizations you would have about Gen Z from your experience? I think equal measure. I've had mm -hmm. really good examples of candidates. Mm -hmm. I've had very interesting examples and I've also had really outstanding examples mm -hmm. of Gen Z students. Mm -hmm. And I do work with students, but the problem I guess is that I work in a university. So there's confirmation bias. All the people who come to university have a certain willingness to be committed to what they're 
learning or what they're pursuing. Not an overwhelming commitment, but certainly a baseline <laughs> level that's high. Let's higher. not go over the top. <laughs> baseline level that's a little higher yeah. than maybe out there in mm-hmm. the general community. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe out of these people who are being surveyed, I don't know what mm-hmm. level of young people or what type of young people they're yeah, working sure. with. But it's it's a mixed bag. I can say the same about any age group. Yeah, for sure. I right? agree. So again, mm-hmm. I want to see the same survey of every single age group mm-hmm. and see if Gen Z are really the worst. But again, it's confirmation bias. Gen Z will be ranked the worst because people... You know, maybe we were the previous Gen Z and everyone was complaining about us too. So mm. we just didn't see it publicized as much. I've always been the youngest person within my professional mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember. And no one said it, but I was always aware of it. And I was yeah. always trying to work against that stereotype mm-hmm. of being mm-hmm. the young person who's a little late. You know, you've made this point before. It's never great to be the youngest person in your workplace for the majority of workplaces probably. Right. It's, it's never great. You do have to work hard again to, mm-hmm. to buck to those trends. To push against that, that prejudice for sure. And that mm-hmm. can be a very fruitful exercise, mm-hmm. very productive exercise. And there's a lot of waiting your turns, yes. which is frustrating mm-hmm. for young people to hear. But just know that you are not universally panned. Uh, there are people in the generation above you who do think you have value in this society. <laughs> so don't be too down and don't read these headlines. We uh, love you more than bats. <laughs> you can do better than this. That's not a that's not a vote of confidence. <laughs> On that note of looking for professional environments mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. how certain groups can thrive, that brings us to a recurring segment about employability and productivity. Whose job is it anyway? And the headline this week is around these series of articles that I've certainly been pigeonholed into reading mm, on my okay. feeds. Mm-hmm. I think I clicked on one and then every oh, two every seconds, single one, you know it's it. another one of these articles. Mm-hmm. And these categories is actually not a bad thing to fill your feed with. There are much worse things that can grace your social media feeds. <laughs> it is all around what happens when you apply for jobs mm-hmm. and the hacks that people have for getting a job. Okay. I think it was based on one of the articles we read previously about AI doing the job interview. Mm-hmm. So your next job interview will not even honor you with the basic respect <laughs> of a human selection panel, they will let a robot read through all of your files. You know, it's a CEO who has shared the number one question to never, ever ask at a job interview, wait until you're called back. The number one question mm-hmm. that you as an applicant should never, ever That's ask right. at a job interview. Mm-hmm. We know what this is. For those of you listening, I don't think you'll need that many guesses. Because when I read this article, mm-hmm. I didn't click through and I just read the comments. And every single person below guessed it correctly. Right. The number one question they should never ever ask is what is your work from home policy? Mm. Asking an employer, a potential employer mm-hmm. who has not even took you to the next stage of interviews and hasn't offered anything. There's nothing on the table. You're asking about your work from home policy as an mm-hmm. employer. Mm-hmm. Maybe rightly, because you have care responsibilities, say. Travel a long way to work. Or or your own medical Mm -hmm. condition. Mm -hmm. And if this was off the table, then it's a deal breaker for Mm -hmm. you as the employee. You just want to make sure what's going on. This article really makes the case that it doesn't actually matter about your circumstances. It doesn't really matter how great an applicant you are. This question is a lightning rod of controversy. Mm. I don't know why it is. But that's certainly the perception out there. Whether it's fair or not, some managers will perceive initial interview questions about remote working as telegraphing the wrong priorities. Even for me, it's an immediate red flag, this person has said. Imagine this scenario. You close your interview with a question about remote work and get a chilly reception. The next day, the hiring manager meets another candidate who says they could be in the office bright and early the next Monday morning. You may be more qualified, but there's a real chance that the other job seeker may be perceived as more committed. 
this might hold true even for managers at companies who that have very robust work from home policies. Imagine this scenario. The robot <laughs> overlord who's interviewing you flags your question as a key phrase that is optimized for to de-emphasize you as a viable candidate. Everyone who asks about work from home is clearly a bad candidate and it's AI data training set. Away you go into the second rank pile. Just got kicked out of my interview. What's going on? Going on? <laughs> it just closed. <laughs> just about remote work very, very quickly. It's a red flag for certainly the current crop of mm-hmm. HR consultants and selection committees to hear work from home as mm-hmm. a bit of a red flag. Mm-hmm. In my setting, I can't say it's such a lightning rod of controversy. I mm-hmm. have been on selection panels where this is not a, a deal breaker, certainly. But I also don't hear that many applicants asking about it in my setting. Sure. It's not that easy to work from home in my field. Mm. Uh, there are some parts of my job, similar jobs in, in the workplace that I'm in. The majority we would really need to stay at our workplace for. In science, in the molecular biosciences, mm-hmm. most of the workforce is hands-on laboratory work. That's true. You literally couldn't do that remotely. And mm-hmm. if that sounds a bit abstract, I guess if you trace back to the early days of the pandemic when there was a lot of COVID testing going on, mm-hmm. you cannot process those patient samples remotely. You have to physically be in an environment. Nor would you want those patient samples sent to your home, by the way, right? You really want them in a remote facility <laughs> that you drive to and That's decontaminate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just certain jobs that you couldn't actually mm-hmm. do remotely. But certainly it has led to innovations in remote working possibilities, mm-hmm. telehealth visits for doctors. Mm-hmm. We in the university sector obviously have to teach a lot of classes online. So we sure. have to figure out new ways of working remotely. None of the people I work with want to be 100% from home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they value that flexibility when yes. they need to. Mm-hmm. And students have been expressing this frustration for a long time. Mm-hmm. I've got an 8 a.m. lecture and then nothing for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. I need to go make some money. Yeah. So if I had to drive two hours to get to campus and then by the time I can leave to get to my job, it will be during the day. Yeah, It'll be 10, sure. 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. I just can't get a shift and make money that way. Mm-hmm. Let me just watch that lecture remotely online and then get on with my life. That's fair enough. You could argue the same for that lecturer who's giving the lecture. Right? <laughs> like, okay, well, I could get on with my life as well. I've got daycare or school drop-off or care yeah. duties. Mm-hmm. Then I could be more flexible with, mm-hmm. with the day and mm-hmm. I think you can be more productive as well. We've also talked about four-day working weeks is yeah. not necessarily yeah, have- compromising productivity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you told me I could only work from home, mm. I'm not sure what I would think about that if I'm honest. I'm not sure either. I think you and I are probably on the same page about this and that we think some kind of hybrid model is ideal. Mm. But maybe we're, maybe we're in the mi- minority with that. I don't know. Mm. I, I know some people who love it, who mm-hmm. just think it's the most amazing thing in the world. I like my home. I, I mm-hmm. don't need to be in it the whole time. Sure. Yep. And I don't need the social interaction that much of the mm-hmm. time. But when it's completely robbed, you don't kind of realize it until it's kind of not there for a yep. little while, right? Yep. And we will have very recent experience with that. And that blended model, the hub model, I think my workplace is very accommodating. So I'm fortunate that I didn't have to ask about this when I was Mm -hmm. interviewing Mm -hmm. for my position. But apparently when you're interviewing, you shouldn't be asking about this. I don't think it's an unreasonable question to ask though, but perhaps at the later stages of the interview. What is a pretty standard question that we ask for all applicants is if you were accepted a job when would you be able to start? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty standard yeah. HR question. What what would be your official starting mm-hmm. date? Mm-hmm. You could say whenever, but then that probably isn't the best time according to this article to raise. I can start as soon as possible, but I can only work remotely. What's your remote, remote mm-hmm. work policy? That is a deal breaker for you as the applicant. Mm-hmm. They're recommending wait till you have an offer in hand mm-hmm. okay. and then ask about it then. You still have time to turn down the job offer by all means. I don't know. I think that's a bit of a, sh- a shame though. You may really not 
want the position if you can't do any of your work from home. Shows the importance of doing your own background research mm-hmm. because employers sure. are very rarely black boxes as it mm-hmm. relates to company culture and yeah. Yeah. you can look up reviews of large organizations certainly mm-hmm. and startups or have people who work there you need to be doing your own background research before you get so. a job sussing out the landscape and the job situation mm. if it is a job that is very adaptable in all the other settings that you know of and mm-hmm. all of the other people you know who work in similar roles mm-hmm. can work flexibly and they don't, that should be pretty easy to find out. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. That, that would stick out. Mm. So that's the time to find out about it rather than during an interview. These older mentality mm-hmm. employers mm-hmm. would look down on that question as a personal character flaw yeah. and bundle you with the rest of mm-hmm. Gen Z that mm-hmm. no one has got anything good to say about. Wait for the right time. Yeah. yeah right for the right time to like, cash pick, in your, your timing. And speaking of older entrenched mindsets with <laughs> additional regulatory oversight, that brings us to The Circuit, our now recurring segment about the sweeping headlines mm-hmm. across all of science, tech, and productivity for the past couple of weeks. And this week, we're going to really hone in on a series of themes. We're going to try and do this more moving ahead in the podcast mm-hmm. episodes mm-hmm. to come. And all of the articles we'll talk about for the rest of the day revolve around the Therapeutic Goods Administration, okay. the TGA, mm-hmm. within Australia. They are our governing body, which looks right. at medication mm-hmm. from our perspective. Mm-hmm both the drug discovery side, as well as the sale, the administration, prescription of all the, all the medication we can buy over the counter or through doctors. And they have been busy in the headlines over the last couple of weeks within Australia. The first headline is around the sale of paracetamol. Paracetamol pack sales are to be cut back. And this is in Australia from 2025 amid fears of overdoses. So cutting back paracetamol, mm-hmm. the most common brand name for us is Panadol. That's right. In America, the United States is Tylenol, I think. So if you watch a lot of uh, dramas and mm-hmm. you hear medical dramas, and you hear about Tylenol. I guess that's some version of paracetamol that they sell in the United States. You can actually and buy it here now too. I've seen it. I've seen it on the show. Rushing in on that on that knowledge of everyone, watching US TV Everyone's watching medical dramas and they yeah. understand Tylenol more. Yeah. Give me a Tylenol, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not give me a Panadol. Panadol doesn't sound as fancy Don't as a Tylenol. Pass. And the new rules that have come in are instead of. 20 packs of paracetamol Mm -hmm. within a single box Mm -hmm. that will be limited down to 16 tablets Mm -hmm. we're talking about what you can buy i think the term would be off the shelf and then over the counter would be buying it from a pharmacist oh okay without a script pharmacy packs Mm -hmm. will be reduced from 100 tablets in a box to 50 five zero okay supermarket off the shelf 20 down to 16 i bet it will still cost the same Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Well, the price. Yeah. I mean, the price mm-hmm. might even go up, but then you mm. maybe raise the possibility of black market paracetamol, black market Tylenols. What the incentive or the catalyst for this regulation mm-hmm. is a report that basically says there's a significant number of That's overdose right. cases, mm-hmm. 50 Australian deaths from mm-hmm. intentional paracetamol yeah. overdose. Yeah. 50 is not zero. So mm-hmm. it's a significant number. It's that's also right. not in the hundreds of thousands. So that's mm-hmm. quite, quite lucky. Mm-hmm. But Really, this is something that can go arrive very, very, very quickly. And the TGA is trying to preempt this, I think, mm-hmm. from it being more of a statistic, even yep. more striking of a trend. We do know doctors who work in the ER mm-hmm. and they have seen an increasing number of these cases. But mm-hmm. thankfully, it's not through the roof. And mm-hmm. I think this regulation will go a long way into Hopefully helping down, to bring those numbers down. Helping mm-hmm. on the incidence of these things. I think it's a fairly reasonable restriction. Mm. And the TGA has asked consumers not to start stockpiling the drug before the regulations come in, which in Australia, 
Australia well, is we supposed saw to what be. happened during COVID, didn't we? In February 2025, mm-hmm. you don't want people stockpiling paracetamol and not making it available to people who need it. The TGA has been very busy. Mm-hmm. not just with their normal regulatory work, but also in being strategic in how they make the headlines. Mm-hmm. Because in addition to paracetamol, they have taken on another juggernaut, which is vaping. Mm-hmm. We have talked about vaping we on have. the podcast previously. And the landmark announcement was that vaping would start to be banned much more aggressively in mm-hmm. Australia mm-hmm. in response to the concerns that young people are essentially vaping sure. to their mm-hmm. heart's content, ignorant or not caring about that potential risks, long-term mm. health impacts. Mm-hmm. So what's what's to come, and this is the focus of the rest of the episode today, is mm-hmm. all about vaping from lots of different angles. And this first article tries to talk through the biological impact of vaping to try and set the record straight about just how bad it is for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem here is that we don't actually know exactly how bad it is for us, right? It's true. And mm-hmm. vaping pretty much is just anything that forms a bit of smoke. Tobacco is missing from the vape, these e-cartridges. Mm-hmm. You could put lots of different things in there, candy-flavored, alcohol-flavored, marijuana-infused cartridges, mm-hmm. but it seems to be nicotine are the ones that are the most common because that's, right. that's actually why they were quote-unquote invented to begin with. That's right, to help people cut down on smoking cigarettes. So it's the physical action of holding a cigarette to your mouth, but you replace it with an e-cigarette, a vape, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have anything else in it that resembles the cigarette to our understanding, mm-hmm. but it has That's that. the nicotine. has the yeah. nicotine. Mm-hmm. So that actually kind of makes sense because mm-hmm. it helps you get off the cigarette. Yeah, like as an alternative to a patch or, you know, something like that that's still got that motion but the, um, associated with it. But the unintended consequence of that is it's not so much the smokers who are taking up vaping, Mm-hmm. It's people who've never actually smoked a cigarette. The young people who think vaping is very cool for mm-hmm. one reason or another. And so what is it actually doing to your body is the first question that this article was trying to ask. Mm-hmm. When you breathe in vapor, some of the chemicals are absorbed through cells in your mouth into the bloodstream. When the vapor reaches the lungs, more chemicals are absorbed there too. And then on the way back out of your mouth, more chemicals are absorbed again. And the rest is exhaled, creating a... A visible mist or the smoke. The danger then falls back onto what chemicals are you actually That's absorbing right. mm-hmm. and what chemicals are in the vapes. And I think this is a very variable product. It can be lots of different things. And quite unregulated by my understanding. So it could be all sorts of different things. Uh, we don't really know and therefore we don't really know the effects, but p- potentially still very dangerous. And so the follow-up question is, mm-hmm. yes, there's a risk to everything we mm-hmm. do. You would have seen the graphic of what has a correlation to cancer and it's pretty much every single thing you can think of has some level of mm-hmm. positive or negative correlation mm-hmm. with cancer is vaping better than the alternative would be the follow-up question right so yes it's potentially risky is it riskier than smoking the consensus is that it's less harmful than actual mm-hmm. cigarettes but i think the consensus is also that we don't really know yet and we don't know what those other chemicals that are put in with the nicotine into the vapes could be doing it's a bit of an unknown mm. and even cigarette smoke mm-hmm there is this rather famous graph of the number of cigarettes consumed per capita Mm -hmm. uh, across time, across decades. Mm -hmm. And it's plotted relative to the number of lung cancer deaths. So most of us associate smoking with lung cancer deaths. Mm -hmm. And there is a 30-year lag Mm. between when cigarette usage peaked Mm -hmm. versus when lung cancer deaths peaked. Mm -hmm. 
obviously a very strong correlation, if not causation. That's one of the strongest causations of all of biological research and medical research, I think, the linkage between smoking and lung cancer. Mm -hmm. But first of all, there was a 30-year lag, so that would have taken at least Mm -hmm. 40 years Mm -hmm. to uncover that trend. And then it has to then pass all the regulatory oversight and get entrenched into policy. So that was a very, very slow-moving wave from discovery all the way to health policy. And vaping was just at the beginning of that, right? So yeah, vapes absolutely. are a few, we're a few years in. We just don't know, but I wouldn't be risking it. We could extrapolate with all the benefit of hindsight that mm-hmm. a bit of smoke is probably mm-hmm. not the best thing for you routinely to have yeah. around you and in you. Mm-hmm. And then the question that people would have is, if you use that common sense and think, it can't be that good for you, mm. shouldn't have already been regulated, shouldn't have already been banned. And I think there's been a number of loopholes and that there were restrictions that were brought in. And this is very quickly changing, so I don't want this to date. But pretty much it's around A, who can import it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And B, once it's imported, where can you buy it from? Right, yeah. And I think whatever we were doing, Mm -hmm. it was ineffective. It's not working. And it has, as we introduce higher regulatory frameworks around Mm -hmm. this and, Mm -hmm. and more rules, there may be unintended consequences as a result of that. And you may get things like a black market appearing where certain vapes are selling for a really, really high price. Very likely. Mm. And then that might make it even more lucrative to Mm -hmm. start getting into not just Mm -hmm. vaping, but selling vapes in the black market. And that's never a good thing. Yeah. So this is very quickly changing, but yeah, it's around importing vapes and what kind of vapes can mm. be imported, who can sell them, and yep. what do you yep. need to prove to be able to buy something. It was just, yeah, largely not cracked down upon, even though it was technically illegal to sell. Anything that's not purely for yep. smokers trying mm. to get off smoking, which is the nicotine one, any of the other ones that have like colored vapors and they taste yeah. good for kids, mm-hmm. they're going to really try and crack down on that. But again, we don't know, maybe that will incur a black market. Yeah, because there is, there is no need for them to have any kind of flavor to them, is yeah. there? I mean, what's what's its purpose really? Yes. And that's to get young people addicted to this. So it is a bit of a black box as mm-hmm. to what the long-term impacts of vaping will be. Yeah. And this next article is from John Hopkins University mm-hmm. that tries to summarize this. the five vaping facts that you need to know. Mm-hmm. And the you in this instance, I think, is mostly targeted at parents, I think. Because right, okay. most parents mm. probably didn't even know this is a thing. Mm-hmm. I like, didn't even know Prime Energy Drink is a thing until everyone is... <laughs> Prime Energy Drink still kids. sold out still at sold the supermarket. Out. Still can't find Prime Hydration If anywhere. I can find some, I'll bring it in and we will we will taste test it Yes, we, we're, we are coming up to the end of our season mm-hmm. one. So we're on episode eight. Episode mm-hmm. 10 will be our season finale. We'll do our best to try and find a Prime Energy yep, Drink or bring right. in a live bat, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Probably bring in a live bat would be easier than trying to get Prime Energy Drink. I'm sure there's like bats just, just outside right here knocking on the door. Inside the fruit trees. Yeah, yeah. the bat lobbying is mm-hmm. right on our doorstep. They are concluding vaping is less harmful than smoking. Mm-hmm. We said with all those caveats, mm-hmm. still not safe. Yeah. And they say generally don't consume any vapes. Mm-hmm. If you can have the luxury of choice, mm-hmm. don't put yourself in that position. That's don't right. consume any vapes that contain THC compounds, mm-hmm. which I believe is uh, marijuana, anything yeah. marijuana related mm-hmm. vapes, don't do that. And it is generally just not a good thing for you health wise. The second fact is that vaping is bad for both your heart and your mm-hmm. lungs because of all the absorptive chemicals mm-hmm. or the chemicals that you're absorbing through the inhalation process, mm-hmm. multiple portals of yeah. absorption. So, chronic lung disease, asthma, yeah. yes, cardiovascular so, disease. It, almost independent of the chemicals in there, mm-hmm. inhaling smoke, absorbing anything within those smoke, 
long term is is not good. Yeah. That's what they claim. Three and three is the one that really got me. Yeah, it's around the addictive qualities of mm-hmm. e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. They're saying that it is just as addictive as traditional ones, mm-hmm. if not more so. Yeah. And the reason that it could be more addictive is because the cartridges you can get for e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. You can get... Who needs a supercharged one for a start? But you can get supercharged yep. cigarettes with double the strength of nicotine. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Insane. Yeah. So without knowing it, you could be mm-hmm. consuming... Inhaling the same amount of smoke, but getting double the hit of nicotine. Yeah. And we talked about the last episode, nicotine is triggering receptors in mm-hmm. your brain to... Mm-hmm form a pleasurable habit and expectation that you will continue mm-hmm. to receive the signals in your brain. Very, very dangerous, certainly for young people with neural pathways still fully being mapped out. It's a perfect vessel for addiction, for setting up an addiction in a young person, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it. Addiction is something that in a vacuum is quite abstract. Mm-hmm. So we like to bring it back to the purest investigations mm-hmm. of addiction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that time that happens in mice. And there are these studies that show mice receiving some kind of dopamine hit and they'll get that dopamine hit if they go through and hit a button, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they give other types of stimulants that are also supposed to trigger the dopamine receptors, mm-hmm. for example, like food and yeah. solving a puzzle. I'm not sure solving puzzles. <laughs> solving a I'm puzzle. on the same level. <laughs> kind of mice <laughs> a puzzle solving. A cup of tea, you know, like all the, different, all the different pleasures that one can have yeah. in life. The very sophisticated pleasures. <laughs> a cup of tea. And, uh, a, a hard-fought game of chess that they win in the end. So they've got the pure dopamine, right? The pure the, the drug that triggers dopamine very purely versus all of the other pleasures a, a mouse mm-hmm. could experience. And they just pretty much press that button until mm-hmm. they die. It's just so overpowering yeah. that that yeah. sense, that that triggering mm-hmm. sense of addiction. When you couple that with cigarette consumption or mm-hmm. inhalation of mm-hmm. smoke, what's the negative version of synergistic? I guess it's kind of working together to harm you way more than either right. of those two yeah. things independently can mm-hmm. harm you. Mm-hmm. And this is a study that we found that shows the exposure of nicotine in mice mm-hmm. affects generations of mice results in heritable changes that affect downstream generations of mice there are cognitive behavioral Mm. impairments that they can Mm. visibly see in mice Mm -hmm. because i mean you've worked with mice more excessively than i have you can predict their behaviors pretty routinely and if they are doing something different to the point where you can say hey there's something wrong with that mouse's mm-hmm. mind or that mm-hmm. mouse's uh, cognitive ability so there are certain assays that they would conduct to to assess these things uh, basically damaging future generations of offspring the natural assumption is the female mice should minimize their exposure mm-hmm. to stimulants because mm-hmm. they are the one carrying the embryo within them yeah and the same would apply to mothers. So pregnant mothers, smoking yeah. and drinking, it's a lightning rod of, hey, what are you doing? You're a responsible person. Mm-hmm. But the dad was in a corner smoking and drinking away. People didn't think it's going to be a huge yeah. impact. Yeah. Uh, this study shows that a male mice that have been exposed mm-hmm. to nicotine can still impact the offspring That's right. negatively. And this is their offspring's offspring. Yes. So it has more yes. than one Multiple generation generational changes. of mm-hmm. negative brain mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. from nicotine consumption. So yeah. it's really warping the neural pathways Mm -hmm. by constant chronic exposure Mm -hmm. to nicotine and this is for them just 12 weeks of exposure right which i guess relative to the mouse's uh lifespan is quite a lot but Mm. it doesn't take that much to Mm -hmm. really drastically screw up your Mm. children about a a sixth of the mouse's lifespan now that we've established the risks associated Mm -hmm. with vaping 
both short-term and long-term. Let's examine how we got here, how we got to this mess. Part of me is thinking, how did this happen again? How the human brain is wired, mm. as we've explained, is that we are primed for anything that will give us any short-term stimulus, mm -hmm. right? So we are primed for addiction. Certainly there's a genetic element to addiction, yeah, but the environmental right. factors are overwhelmingly dominant in mm -hmm. some of these studies mm -hmm. as it relates to addiction and addictive properties the environment that we're living in doesn't help the online environment the dominance mm. of not just phones but screens and online media and this next article is, is really quite chilling because what they're trying to communicate here is that this did not occur by accident the vaping addiction in young people was a deliberate strategic advertising ploy mm -hmm. and this is something the vaping companies and tobacco industries during the pandemic of all times, right. upscaled mm. their efforts mm -hmm. to be very targeted in their advertising to young people. Certainly, COVID was a time when certain companies made a ton of money. Right. Certain services just were viewed as essential. And so, for example, webcams. You just could not buy a webcam. <laughs> you couldn't. For 18 months. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, if you made webcams, your company, I don't know why we're going bananas here. I'm not even sure. If <laughs> I wish I doing... had been in the webcam. <laughs> yeah, we should have been in a webcam yes. business. If they were marketing to everyone equally, then I think that's fair game to say, well, people will right. want okay. to relieve stresses and mm -hmm. we can maybe take over from cigarettes or use vapes as a way to kind of get in to say, this is a good way to kind of decompress without causing as much damage as something like smoking mm -hmm. would be doing. But what they did was put all their eggs in the young people basket and scrub metadata from social media and purchase user data based on their age, their clicks, their friends, their social groups and say, if you're a young person living in these areas mm -hmm. and your friends are likely to be consuming media where mm -hmm. smoking is cool mm -hmm. or like a certain number of movies that trigger these social patterns, you will see an onslaught of vaping advertisements in your feed. It's uh, it's pretty sickening to think about, isn't it? It's pretty sickening. It's yeah. horrible. And whether or not it's provable, I'm not sure. Mm. But certainly the headline from last week, that company in the US, Jewel, they were penalized for this advertising tactic and they had to pay 462 million US dollars mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. advertising plot. Horrible to think about, isn't it? I think I read a statistic saying that if you're using vapes, you're three times more likely to take up traditional cigarettes in really? the future. Vaping is appealing because you don't have that sort of cigarette smell on you. You know, it's considered less dangerous and all of these things are oh. more attractive. Because vaping was initially billed as an off-ramp. That's from right. Smoking, but now you're saying yeah. it's an on-ramp towards more smoking. The, one, of the, one of the statistics that oh. we saw. Given that vaping is also bad for yeah. your health, we could say just avoid all of it mm -hmm. if that's mm -hmm. within your control. Of course, addiction is very complex and multifactorial. Mm, absolutely. And as I said, the environmental factors are overwhelming. So mm -hmm. you might just not have the capacity to be able to quit. But if at all possible, neither of these products is good for you long term. So you should risk try it. and manage mm -hmm. your way around this. I find it uh, a little more comforting that I'd be targeted for job interview ads in my social media feeds <laughs> than vaping. They know that I'm a wasted target. They didn't spend any money on me trying to advertise vapes to me. Mine is just highly varied. Highly varied? Yeah, oh. highly varied. And keep the algorithm guessing. You keep the algorithm guessing. <laughs> but I think so, you've said this since appearing on the podcast with me, we're getting targeted for more A lot of things. AI ads. A lot mm -hmm. of AI ads. Mm -hmm. That's just everywhere. 
I shouldn't say this given that I have a platform where I talk about AI, but I'm pretty tired of hearing about AI. <laughs> Everyone's telling everyone that AI is going to be the mm. thing that makes you rich or just yeah. makes you redundant. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, it's all like these jobs you don't need any uh, formal qualifications for and you can use AI or ones that say you should be using these five different AI hacks during the day, mm. Mm. that kind of thing. Well, I did yeah. see an AI app that is for podcast editing specifically maybe we do so you put in your videos and it just edits the way it thinks you like the podcast to be edited okay but what ai cannot predict is the litany of errors that we routinely make (laughs) and say during the course of a podcast that i have to go through and edit out painstakingly afterwards was riddled with errors <laughs> and riddled with faux pas that had to manually curate we're, we're waiting for that plugin to come in later yeah i don't think we've got that yet do we that brings us to crossover mm-hmm. of the week our weekly examination of articles that trigger all these different areas that we're interested in within science technology education and again this episode is very largely focused on vapes and the final article is one that talks about vaping from a regulatory perspective mm-hmm. but the article is saying there's no easy health or political solution and tries to examine what are the possible options that are available to us as a country in Australia and maybe that's a way forward for the world. It's hard to compare us against the US because first of all, we're a much smaller market right, that's for right. the vaping company, mm-hmm. much smaller group, much mm-hmm. smaller population. So that is not a great comparison. But what is a more apt comparison are our mates in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They've got a similar regulatory framework for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Their approach to regulating vaping is actually a little different to ours. Okay. So New Zealand has a licensed retail framework with very tight standards that manufacturers and suppliers need to adhere to before vapes can be sold in the market. They're effectively saying they don't have a black market for vapes. Oh, no black market. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is they've viewed it just like cigarettes. Right. They get to be 18 years or older. Mm-hmm. You can buy it at all the normal retailers that you buy cigarettes from with all the usual warnings. Mm-hmm. But if you're over 18, you can buy it. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to say if you can't get your older brother or sister to go and buy it for you or the usual loopholes, but at mm-hmm. least it's viewed the same as cigarettes. And what we are proposing, at least in this point in time in Australia, is to have a stronger, stricter ban on vapes than that. The New Zealand model is not without its critics, of mm-hmm. course. In fact, New Zealand hasn't gone all in on banning it and making it very restrictive to say only the nicotine-containing vapes, none of the other mm-hmm. fancy smoke, lolly-flavored, alcohol-flavored vapes, only prescribed through doctors, only imported through doctors, you can only buy it through doctors. They haven't gone that route. They've just made it, you can buy it from the normal places you can buy cigarettes from. Mm-hmm. But I think New Zealand's view is that they're using vaping as an off-ramp from smoking. Right. So if they make the off-ramp more Mm -hmm. accessible, Mm -hmm. then that increases the odds that more smokers will move Mm -hmm. on to vapes and hopefully quit smoking Mm -hmm. altogether. So it's saying people who have issues with addiction are caught in a cycle of withdrawal and craving and then satisfying that craving. Because nicotine is metabolized very quickly, people are going through that multiple times over the course of a day. And some vapes, as we said, can be supercharged or super Mm -hmm. strength, extra strength. You can get even more nicotine, even more addictively. Mm -hmm. The counter-argument to this is that New Zealand does not have a black market mm-hmm, because that's right. it is more widely available Then people don't have to go out of their way to avoid regulations to get it. And mm-hmm. therefore, you could say that the vapes that do make it onto the market have more oversight. Right. You're yeah. kind of more yeah. aware of what you can buy because mm-hmm. to make it to the what's big retailers, mm-hmm. you know what's in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the black market, you can have anything yes, in a cartridge exactly. and, and still smoke it. And it could get to a point where 
it's harder to get a vape or a vape might cost more because you buy on the black market mm. than a packet of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And people would say, well, why don't I just buy cigarettes instead? Well, that's exactly what you don't want to happen, isn't it? Right, I'll just buy some mm. cigarettes. That defeats the whole point. It's becoming the on-ramp to cigarettes as opposed to the off-ramp. I don't know what a good solution is in this circumstance. I think it will probably be a, a watch and see space. What do you think? This really comes down, like many of the things we talk about the podcast, to communication. Mm-hmm. Just banning it without explaining the reasoning behind mm-hmm. it, without a good accompanying public health campaign, public health awareness campaign. Mm -hmm. I haven't really seen a lot of campaigns, not just fear-mongering about babies, but trying to educate, Mm -hmm. hopefully in the way that we've attempted to do in this episode, to say the risks are very much unknown. Mm -hmm. But you can get yourself in a situation where this is going to be really expensive and you're already addicted to nicotine. We don't know what the long-term health effects will be. Can Mm -hmm. be an on-ramp towards smoking. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work with the regulation alone. That's the right. policy alone will not deliver the outcome that exactly. you want. Mm. The policy does a lot of the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. but that communication, that community awareness... Key, isn't it? ...is really mm-hmm. important. And especially for, for young people, they should have a healthy awareness yep. to make their own informed decisions about anything mm. they put into mm-hmm. their body. Unless they're like infants. I saw it was terrible because vapes are lying oh, around. Yes. There are like a lot of vaping incidents and accidents for zero to four-year-olds. That's terrible. Oh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Vape. Yep. So it's not harmless. You mm-hmm. can't leave it lying around. Mm-hmm. It's not really a social thing. It is to be viewed in the same sphere as a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The unintended consequence of even very good policy is so high that we do have to watch this space going forward. Yeah. But vaping from a biological perspective is just as potentially risky as smoking. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we may very well end up with population who have an addiction to vaping and are now unable to access it. And what's going to happen? We also need targeted treatment plans, public health campaigns to to try and have more of a wholehearted approach. And remember that if you're a young person who's found themselves addicted to vaping, Mm. you're now combating stereotypes on at least two fronts with your addiction to vaping, as well as your unreliability in the workplace, as well as your (laughs) indifference towards working in person. You want to work remotely all the time. there are all of these different types of things that... Let me just have a moment to say it's pretty rough for Gen Z. Yes, that was the focus of our whole last episode. It's not easy being a Gen Z. It's not easy being a young person in the current Mm -hmm. economy, in the current environment. So you have to do your best to work through to the next phase of your career, Mm -hmm. of your life, where all of these prejudices hopefully start to fade with time. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're going to give you some relatively reasonable tips to help you get to that next point in your journey. From a millennial, my suggestion would be to get yourself an emotional support cup of coffee. Emotional support kind of cup of coffee. It's also addictive, caffeine. Also very addictive. (laughs) I do know a millennial who doesn't drink any coffee. Yeah. Okay. Or any caffeine. Just one. Yeah, actually just one. (laughs) Just Just one. one. I only know one. (laughs) I only know one. This is the end of our episode. This Mm -hmm. is episode eight of Crossover Connections with Jack Wayne. You can find our audio podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or really anywhere you download your podcast from. We are looking forward to the end of season one coming up. This is episode eight. Mm -hmm. So at the end of episode 10, we're going to take a bit of a break. And the aim is to move to a weekly release model in season two but to get there we're going to have to take a bit of a short break more details on that to come in the next two episodes my name is jack and i'm amanda hope to connect with you again next time around